host, Dmitry Filipovich. Welcome to the Hockey PDO cast. My name is Dmitry Filipovich, and joining me is my good buddy, Ryan Lambert. Ryan, what's going on, man? Hanging in there. Yes, you are. We all are. Uh, it's it's nice because on the one hand, uh, the NHL regular season is such a grind, right? Like 82 games is, yeah. is clearly way too many, and it feels like every single night is just relentless. And and I don't mean to sound, make that sound as complaining because like, I think we both love our job, and it's awesome that we just get to watch hockey every day. Um, but it doesn't give you really like a chance to take a breather or like you know, take a step back and reflect and, and look around the league and kind of figure out what's going on or, or recalibrate yeah. at all. Cause it's just like, all right, you finish a night of games and then the next morning you have a bit of downtime. And then all of a sudden there's another six games on the schedule. And so at least this week has I think provided us with a nice little chance to just like, you know, take a beat and just relax a little bit. Yeah, for sure. It's, um, you know, it's the classic NHL thing where they're like, oh, there's only going to be like two or three games on the last couple of nights. Oh, really? What time do they start? Uh, exactly the same time. You cannot <laughs> watch them both. So good. Yeah. It rocks. Love that. Um, okay. So we're going to talk about a variety of topics today. We're going to talk about the MVP race. We're going to talk about player contracts, uh, broadcast viewership, all that good stuff. So let's start with the MVP race. You wrote about this recently. Yes. You wrote about the field and I, I kind of feel silly, uh, you know, setting up with the description of it being a race, because I think that implies that the number one spot is in question or in play. And I right. think it, it's, it's almost all but cinched up. I'd say, I think you can nitpick a little bit, but ultimately I think Connor McDavid is going to win this award, but we'll, we'll, let's go through the candidates, uh, the thinking, the logic, maybe who could work their way up or down the list and whether anyone could actually challenge McDavid in the final 30 games or what, or whatever we have left. Yeah. I, I said this on uh puck soup yesterday, but I feel like at this point, if McDavid, like, you know, they said, Oh, he's having season ending surgery this week. He'd still get like a bunch of third place votes. That's how sewn up this is for him. I think. Mm. Um, and deservedly so he's been unbelievable. I, you know, I, I don't know what to, He's going to score almost, well, he's on pace for almost 70 goals and like 152 points, something like that. It's mm -hmm. it's ridiculous. We've just never, you know, in the cap era, we've never seen anything like close to this. So Yeah, I do like that uh, he just decided that he was going to also score the most goals. Yeah. This season, right? Like it, it wasn't yep. something that he necessarily had had in his bag in the past like he was kind of living around that 40 goal range i think he scored 44 last year in 80 games which was his previous career high and he's already about to match that 50 games into the season um here's a fun stat for you the number of games that he has at least one point in 45 out of the 50 he's played and only one of those has come since november 24th <laughs> and it was like it was like a, it was like a new year's it was like a late new year's eve game like the final game before we flipped over to 2023 against Connor Hellebuck and he had a bunch of chances in it as well. So um, yeah, it's, it's pretty wild what he's doing. It's, it's, we've really become desensitized to it. I think collectively it's like, Oh, ho -hum, or he scores a cool goal. And it's like, all right, well that was the 78th best goal we've seen him score in the past five years. Like it, it, it's, right. it, this, he really is at this point, 
only challenging himself, it feels like, on an individual level, where it's like yes. he's just trying to one-up his previous accomplishments or previous production or previous like highs of how cool a play is. It's 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 him, and then it's kind of everyone else in that regard. Yeah, it, again, like it's like you said, the, the fact that he just decided, oh, I'm going to like walk away with the Rocket Richard this year. It reminds you of when uh, Sidney Crosby, everybody was like, oh, you know, he can't, he can't make a fake like he can't win a face-off and then right. the next year he's like the third best face-off guy in the world and then uh oh well you know he, he's more of a playmaker he doesn't score a lot himself and then next year he he wins the rocket richard i think he had at least 150 goal season after everybody just decided this is the thing we're mad at Sidney crosby about uh he doesn't score goals or whatever he's like oh, i can score goals that's not a problem thank you yeah. um and so it's the same thing with mcdavid right oh you know you can't uh and, and you, you can't play a full 200-foot game or, or whatever. And um, not only is he scoring a bunch of goals, but, like, in the past month or so, his underlying numbers have dramatically improved. They were kind of iffy for a while there, despite all the scoring. They were doing a lot of, on the power play. Uh, but in the last month, like, his, his numbers have shot up. I think he's running around, like, 58% expected goals now, something like that. Yeah, he's uh, he's he's fifty seven percent expected goal share over the year, sixty yeah. percent high danger chance share at five on five. I guess yeah, I was gonna say the only real potential nitpick when you're just like trying to make any case against him, which I'm not because he is pretty clearly number one. But if you were to do so, it's like all right, well, they're only up forty four to forty with him on the ice at five on five. They're kind of scraping by right. in that regard. Uh, he's tied for fifth and five on five points. It's funny, like, oh, only fifth in the league. And, but it, it it shows that, you know, how much of the production has come on the power play. And for some reason that has been turned into a negative, right? It's like, kind of like he's derisively like, oh, there's a power play merchant. Oh, that's all, that's all the, all they can do. All they right. can score on as if it doesn't count as the exact same number of goals as, as a regular one. Sure. I, I, I don't know, like, should that be viewed as any sort of knock against them from like a statistical case? Because it feels like that would pretty much be the only thing you could hold on to now that the Oilers seem like they're locked into a playoff spot, right? Last time I think we spoke, they were kind of on the precipice around 50% probability. Yeah. We're like, all right, if this goes south, like that could impact him now that they're winning a bunch of games and, and kind of up there in the standings, it feels like this is like really the last ditch effort that you can kind of hold on to. Right. Yeah, I think, um, you know, if it's a case where two guys have 110 points and one has 15 more on the power play, maybe maybe you give a little more consideration to the guy who had more five on five points. But he's, you know, he's, like I said, going to finish uh, number one in the scoring, the goal scoring and total points race by a decent margin, it looks like. And at that point, it's like, oh, well, you know, this thing I would I would normally use as a tiebreaker, like, I can't even break that out. There's just he, no discussion. He has 46 power play points in 200 minutes. So that's 13.5 points per hour. Mm -hmm. Here's some perspective on that. 46 points on the power play, right? You know who has 46 all situations points this season? Sebastian Ajo, Rupe Hintz, Nico Hishier, Brad Marchand. And a, a countless others that have even less than all star level guys. Yes. Yeah. He, he just in yep. this one specific state of the game is as productive as guys who are legitimate superstars mm -hmm. in every situation. It's, it's, it is a cheat code, right? Like what him and Leon 
together with that much space in the offensive zone, it really feels like watching these power plays. It's it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. Like it's just a matter of time before they finally score a goal. And so, yeah, it, I it, I don't view that as a knock against it because they all count the same, and that's clearly like a thing that they repeatedly do time and time again. Yeah, no, it it, it kind of, it does kind of. I I think I I wrote about this a couple of weeks ago, but uh, and so maybe the numbers are a little bit different. But at the time I wrote this article being like, oh, the Oilers, like might, like you said, might be on the precipice here. Um, it was a situation where their power play percentage was higher than like the the Canadians teams that made the league change the power play rules. Yeah. Right. And it's like, well, I don't know that you can do better than that. Yeah. Yeah. It's 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 really stunning to just look at the numbers that way. So okay. Well, the Oilers are, are two points back of Vegas with the game in hand on them. They're three points back of LA, but they have three games in hand on them coming out of the All-Star break. Do you think that moving forward for these final 30 or so games of the regular season, we should be viewing the Oilers as like the betting favorite to finish first in the Pacific? I, I think so. Um, I would have said Vegas even with you know, uh, their goaltending situation. And then everybody got hurt. Eichel missed a, a handful of games, and it seems like Mark Stone's probably out. Well, they say indefinitely. I don't know. Obviously, they're at, They're saying also. We don't know exactly what it means, but he's going to be out for a long time. Yep. And uh, that alone, plus all the other injury problems that uh, Vegas tends to run into, I guess, Um that alone makes me think they're going to finish ahead of Vegas. And then with the Kings, it's like, do you trust the goaltending at all? Uh, not not me. I'm not a big Phoenix Copley guy, you know? Um, so, it, it, the, like, uh, if the Kings make a, a trade or two, I, I think it becomes more of an open question. But right now, um, I, I feel like, yeah, this is the Oilers' division to lose. Like, they would have to blow it a little bit, frankly. Yeah. I would love to see another Oilers Kings playoff series. The one yeah. last year was really fun and, and the regular season games they've played this year have kind of carried over in that regard. Um, so I would like to see that. But yeah, I I mean for the Kings goalies, Ryan, evolving hockey has the three goalies that they've used this year, Copley, mm-hmm. Quick, and uh and Cal Peterson at negative yep. 24 goal save above expected combined. And I believe that's not even very accurate. Like I, I've seen some of the private models. I, I don't know if it's like Spore Logic or, or or what I saw had them in like m- the minus forty range at some point, like last week. Like it's really bad. I mean, I, I think they've clearly um, taken a bit of a step back defensively from last year and yeah, improved offensively. And I think that's totally fine. But really, the goaltending has been some of the goals they're giving up are just not nearly good enough. And I'm really curious to see what their plan is. Right? We've heard some speculation about Thatcher Demko potentially. I think. Would you, if you were running the Kings at this point, kind of taking a look around, all right, Mark Stone might miss the rest of the regular season. So Vegas might, might drop off the Oilers. We know what they are. The flames, we keep waiting for them to turn it on, but it's 50 plus games now. And it hasn't really happened. This might just be who they are for the rest of the season. If you're the Kings, like I understand that (laughs) they were at one point, they were leading the Pacific with a negative goal differential, which is comical, but at the same time, sure. You have to be looking around and being like, all right, this is pretty this is pretty attainable for us here. I think we can make some noise. I know we want to be patient and have this great prospect pool and and the future looks bright for us. But I mean, we brought in Kevin Fiala this season. I think 
you know, we still have Dowdy and Kopitar playing at high levels. I think it makes sense to to kind of go for it this season and see what you can what you can accomplish. Yeah, and especially just because um you know, like they're this good with a negative eight or ten or whatever it is goal difference, right? Yeah. Like they're they're this high in the standings despite that. And so the idea that if you go out and get like a goalie who's actually like vaguely competent, um, you know, whether it's Thatcher Demko or, or whatever else, I don't think I wonder how much Thatcher Demko would cost, honestly, just because you know, he's coming off surgeries and and they're delaying his his return and all this. Like, I, who knows how bad that injury is and what he is after that injury. And he wasn't good before it. So, you know, but yeah, if the Kings can get it like a, a legitimate goalie and, you know, get them to take Jonathan Quick's remaining three months on, on the books or whatever it is, like, I, I say go for it. You know, yeah. like how many, at this point, how many prospects do you really need to hang on to that you're like, Oh, I couldn't live without this guy, you know? Yeah. In addition to all the other guys who were like right there. I don't know that they have a ton of them. Well, the thing Demko is really interesting because like he was really, really good for a couple of years. And then his mm-hmm. numbers are really bad this year. Even before he got hurt, I watched a lot of those Canucks games. Uh, the situation in front of him was highly bleak. And so I, I really understand he could have been better and maybe, Maybe part of it was his fault, but ultimately, like the number of horrible two on ones and defensive zone breakdowns sure. in front of him were a big part of the numbers. Now, I I think ideally you'd like to see him come back and have a bit of a runaway to actually prove that he's healthy and in top form before you make any type of deal like that, especially since he has three years left of term on his deal after this right. one. Right. The noise that I'm hearing around Demko, not that I'm an insider by any means, is 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 hilarious from both sides, though, right? Because like, I'm hearing a lot of like, I'm I'm worried about Demko holding up physically. Like, I don't think the this injury is 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 a fluke. I think you know he's not a great bet to be a 50 plus game starter for the rest of his career. And then I'm hearing yeah. like Thatcher Demko just really just wants to go play elsewhere. And, and obviously, yeah, that's, I've heard like the latter for right? sure. Yeah, yeah, but it's it's a lot of rumblings, and at some point, it's like, all right, well, right. there's probably something to this if you're hearing it from like seven different people. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, it's a very highly like high upside, intriguing bet. The, the problem with him, with Vamelka, with any goalie they'd bring in is what's your level of confidence that over 30 games, they're actually going to be better than what you've already gotten. I guess it's, it's their goal ending has been so bad that it'll be tough for it not to be at least slightly better. Right. But Phoenix Copley over like 20 random games, I guess could conceivably outperform even a goalie that's significantly better for than him in true talent, because that's just how the position works, you know? So it's a, it's a risky thing to be like, all right, we're going to yeah. push our chips in for 20 games of better goaltending because unless it's well, Vasilevsky or Sorokin, you might not even get better goaltending. Yeah. Well, at least with Demko, you're like, it's 20 games of better goaltending plus three other seasons. Of it. Right. You know, and and you're not because like the the Peterson thing is untenable. The the quick contract is obviously up this year. Copley is supposed to be a a uh, like duct tape on on a on a problem. You know, as opposed to like any sort of a long term solution. So it, it and I guess the other thing to say is we're we're kind of around it on on the Demko thing is like his value is never going to be lower on the trade market. So yeah. in theory, you could get a. Uh, a guy who a couple of years ago 
people were like, oh, he maybe maybe this guy's a Vesna guy, you know? And I don't think it, he ended up getting a ton of votes or whatever, but um, he was in that conversation. And so the idea that you would kind of gamble on that versus what you know isn't working with Peterson and, and Quick and Copley, like, again, given where they are in the standings and that kind of thing, I, I, I think it makes sense. Yeah, five million, five million cap it for basically the rest of his twenties for the next three years is is yeah. If he's going to be what he was previously, is is great. I guess it's a mm-hmm. matter of like what the acquisition cost is, and if the value has right. dropped low enough to mitigate whatever like risk you're taking on with the contract itself. But okay, here's a question I have for you, and this probably, I mean, this almost certainly wouldn't be a fix for them for the rest of this season. I'm just curious for your take as a as an NCAA guy. Mm-hmm. What's your uh, what's your mileage on Eric Portillo? He's, it, it's, this is always such a tricky thing because like you can play behind, I, I I guess, I guess the best way for me to say it is I've seen a lot of guys who are like perfectly well-regarded uh, goaltending prospects who happen to play behind insanely good teams and who didn't really work out at the NHL level. Yeah. Um, and obviously Michigan is like a really, really good team has been for, for most of Portillo's career. Um, I think he's a, I think he's a good goalie. Um, but like, do, do I think he's like a solution for the Kings? You know, probably not. This is, this feels to me like a guy who maybe needs a year or two in the AHL first, you yeah. know? Um, and he's frankly not even having that good of a season. Like he was really good last season. And, um, but this year he's kind of like, well, I mean, we don't really have expected goals numbers in, in NCAA hockey, but he's a nine Oh nine goalie behind a team that, you know, obviously had to take a bit of a step back just because of everybody they lost over the summer. Um, but like, there's still a bunch of really good guys on Michigan and, and, you know, Portillo hasn't been like world beating. He's been serviceable. So I don't know. You know, it's tough to judge. Yeah. When you were talking about NCAA goalies making the leap, I was like, I wonder what Matt O'Connor is up to these days. Cause I remember, yeah, I, I'm, I'm old enough to remember the Matt O'Connor sweepstakes, which is, Oh yeah, no, won. for sure. Uh, you he's still, know, he's well, still playing in Slovakia. Look at him go. Really good for him. Is he really good for him? Yeah. yeah. No, he, I mean, ECHL. Yeah. But yeah, if you look up his numbers at BU, he had like a couple of 920 seasons. Oh. And, uh, you know, again, like those, be, well, maybe not the first year of his college career, but certainly the second two, like his, that, those BU teams were like pretty good. Yeah. Um, and obviously one went to the uh, national championship game. Don't look up what Matt O'Connor did in that one. Um, <laughs> but like that sweepstakes was based on, uh, you know, he plays on the Jack Eichel team, you know, and, I say this, this is the most amazing stat of all time to me, is uh, how easy was it for for, uh, BU that year? Uh, When Jack Eichel was their number one penalty killing center, and uh, when he was on the ice on the penalty kill, BU outscored the competition, like six to four or something like that, or eight to six. Wow. This is why you're you're an NCAA correspondent here on the PDO cast. Yeah, nice. but like that, that I'm just saying that was the environment in which Matt O'Connor was really thriving. And yeah. 
to a similar extent, was that the the environment in which Eric Portillo thrived last year, and then Michigan maybe it well definitely isn't as good as they were last year, and now he's not as good as he was last year. It, kind of a chicken and an egg thing, I guess. But yeah, yeah, I think the answer to this is is the Kings really should just go ham and just get Chikrin and Bumelka in a big package. I love Vimelka. Oh my God. I think he's so good. I, I think he has a chance to be really, really good. If you know, his team isn't the Arizona coyotes. Yeah. And he's also, he's, he's the perfect middle ground for this, right? Where he's the same mm-hmm. age as Demko, but two years left at 2.725 million. So in, in, you, you really provide yourself with some, some insurance in case it's a matter of, he's really good in this, like, horrible situation where he's facing a ton of shots and then he comes to a better team and he's, he turns out to be a disappointment if that happened. And I'm not saying I I think it would, but if it did, at least you're not like, all right, we're stuck with him for three more years at 5 million. It's so it's, it's an interesting uh, gamble that I think would make sense to them. Um, Okay. Wow. We really got sidetracked from the MVP race there. Although you could, (laughs) you could make the case for a corral to throw the Melka. So Um, I guess the question then, if we agree that McDavid is a lock at one, what's going on beneath him in terms of especially getting onto the finalists uh, list yeah. from second and third place. I think that's where the jockeying for position in the final 30 games is really going to get interesting. So I don't know if I would necessarily have him second, but I definitely couldn't leave him out of my top three is David Pasternak. Mm-hmm. I mean, what he's doing with the Bruins this year is re- truly remarkable. And Obviously, he has a lot of help. There are a lot of good players on the Bruins. But the idea that this guy who's running away with the team's scoring, like, you know, basically doing a a mini Connor McDavid to his own team, where he's just like so far ahead in goals and points than everybody else um, on what could end up being one of the four or five best regular season teams, regular season teams ever. Right. So. I think if you want to say he's not two because of how good the rest of the Bruins are, I, I still don't understand how you say he's not three. Yeah, I mean, he's 60 goals and 120 points are both yeah. in play for him. You mentioned the Bruins being as one of the four or five. I, see. I mean, like they might get 130 points this season. Um, yeah. I think, the, I think the comp is kind of what Kucherov did in 2018-19, right? Where everyone sure. sort of agreed that He's not the most valuable in the sense that there's other players, even ironically enough, Connor McDavid at the time as well, that are doing more with less or or doing an equivalent with less. But the sheer totality of his offensive production and also the willingness of voters to recognize the team success that he was helping drive, right. like made him the MVP and got him all every single award that season. Now the funny thing is, is, is like Kucherov had 128 points that season, and it was in a in a wildly different offensive environment than this year, right? So, like when I say Pasternak could have 120 points, it's like, all right, well, there's like four other guys that if they finish strong might also get there. It's just right. Maybe like the, with the benefit of hindsight, I understand that their season ended incredibly shockingly, uh, getting swept by Columbus that season. But man, that regular season, what Kucherov did that year, like is 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 holding Ridiculous. up even better with each year that passes. I think. Yeah, no, th- that was that was a classic case of, well, you know what? He broke the cap year scoring record. I guess you got to give him the trophy <laughs> more than more than anything else. Um, but yeah, obviously Pasternak, 
I guess, I guess you could go absolutely insane down the stretch and, and get up around 130 points like Kucherov did. But, um, yeah, I like I say, I, I just think that given how good the Bruins are and how much of the offense Pasternak has driven, like you just – you do have to hand it to him in this particular case. Yeah, yeah. I mean, everything they do runs through him, and also his usage is up pretty significantly too, right? Like yep. he plays the most out of any of those forwards now, which I think might surprise some people. So – yeah, I, I have him third on my list because I just think what Jack Hughes has done, especially over the past like six weeks, is just right. undeniable. And yes, I also think that it's a good sign of what's to come as well. Like, not that I think he's going to take it up even another level in the second half of the year, but I think like he's just going to keep going. Like when you watch him play, it's like, all right, this is this isn't like what he's going to be. Like, this is like a sign of things to come. And it's it's so... I think like what he's accomplished, especially recently, is is good enough to have him like pretty firmly in second place for me at the moment, acknowledging that Pasternak would score a million goals and and the Bruins could have 130 points and then I have to revisit that. Yeah, I I think when I wrote this article, I'm I'm like 95% sure that you're you said the same top three as me. Mm-hmm. Um and and like I said, I'm not I'm not willing to commit right now to Pasternak or Hughes. Two, two versus three or whatever like either one is, is a totally reasonable argument to me um and especially because again like nobody really expected the uh the devils to be any good this year you know maybe a fringe playoff team i think was a lot of people's thought and they're locked in now you know um so so that is that is definitely like again you just got to tip your cap to the guy like he's having an unreal season and deserves to be you know definitely there isn't a voter who shouldn't have him on his on their ballot Mm. as much as as much as you want to say there are like five or six other guys who deserve consideration and this year there are there definitely are like you could make a case for Ilya Sorokin Connor Hellebuck Jason Robertson like go down the list Nikita Kucherov is another one right he's having an unreal year Mm -hmm. and and so like you can go down the list and, and say oh they're you know there are like eight guys that I want to put in my top five, but I can't, again, I just can't imagine putting together a top five and leaving out McDavid one, any one of McDavid Hughes or Pasternak. Yeah. I mean, so the thing that's startling for me about Hughes, I, and I believe he leads the league in, uh, in goals above replacement uh, on evolving hockey, but 15 goals in his last 14 games, 26 in his last 29 and the thing is, is like if you look at every individual sort of like scoring chance, chance opportunity based stat, whether it's shots where he's fourth, shot attempts sixth, rush chances second, shot, slot shots eighth. I didn't see him like similar to what we said about David taking matters into his own hands to this degree, yeah. right? Like the playmaking is there, and I think they've left a lot on the table in terms of him passing to Eric Halla and Eric Halla missing glorious opportunities. I think he could have even more assists, and we can talk about more of that in a second, but. I didn't see this like, all right, I'm just going to take the puck, go coast to coast and score myself with the frequency he's been doing. And I think that's, what's been most amazing about it. Like the fact that he's going to score 55 goals or something this season is as high as I was heading into the season. I didn't see as a range of outcomes for him this early in his career. Yeah. Again, it does kind of just feel like that Sidney Crosby thing I was talking about earlier where he's like, no, this season I'm going to go insane. I'm just going to have the best season that I could possibly have. Um, and, uh, you know, the whole league's just going to have to deal with it basically. 
and and like you say, basically every underlying uh, stat, he individual stat, he looks great in um, his his you know, like you said, evolving hockey. Uh, he he is uh, 20.3 goals above replacement, it says here. And, you know, what what else can you say about the guy? He, he's been absolutely fantastic in the offensive zone and, well, and pretty good in the defensive zone. So there's, there's nothing you can really say about it. Oh, well, here's what you can say about him. He's reached the rarefied air for me where he's good enough now this early in his career where, like, the Devils should be serious about taking advantage and trying to win a Stanley Cup right away. Totally. totally. Like it's, it's not one of those like, oh, this is a cute story. He's good. Let's can't wait to see how the next seven years of this deal shake out. Like, this is going to be fun. Yeah. It's like, no, let's surround him with as much talent as we can and try to win a Stanley Cup right now and then deal with it later because that's how well he's playing. You know what I mean? Like, I think it's like expediting yeah. the timeline in that regard beyond what we could have reasonably expected. Yeah, he that like the the situation you're describing is Tage Thompson, right? Like, oh, he's having a really nice year for himself. I can't wait to see what he does for the rest of this brand new contract he signed. Uh, and the Sabers are way better than expected. And if they make the playoffs, Tage Thompson will be getting top five MVP vote. Like, I, I, there's not a doubt in my mind because he's just become so much the focal point even though like Darlene and Jeff Skinner are having great years and stuff like that yeah. um but like he's just so much the focal point and so is Jack Hughes Jack Hughes is the same thing except he's much better than Tage Thompson which is weird to say because Tage, again Tage Thompson is having an MVP caliber season for a team that isn't very good yeah okay let's take our break here Ryan before we forget sure. and then uh when we come back we'll keep talking about all the stuff we've got on our list. So looking forward to that. Uh, you are listening to the Hockeypedia cast streaming on the Sportsnet Radio Network. All right, we're back here on the Hockeypedia cast with Ryan Lambert. Uh, before we move off with Hughes, you know, we were talking about sort of standing up aspirations and, and going for it. What What's your mileage on like how aggressively they should be pursuing this deadline in terms of like, whether it makes sense for them to just be pushing as many chips in as they possibly can in these Timo Meyer sweepstakes. Cause like people listen to the show know that I'm all in on that, but I also just love Myers a player so much that there's like three teams in the league. I think that I could make the similar case for which makes me think that the devils should be the ones trying to do it because I think it could make like the biggest impact for them. I think. I agree that it could make the biggest impact. Um, and I don't, I'm not super familiar with the devil's cap situation next year, but I do wonder because he has like a huge qualifying offer and they have a bunch of RFAs that they need to resign. Like, I don't know how much it, uh, fully lines up for them as much as they do have like a lot of uh, you know good value contracts including Hughes's at eight million bucks is like a deal yeah. uh, Nico Heischer at seven and a quarter I want to say is a deal um, maybe Dougie Hamilton at nine is about right but I, I'm, I'm just really curious because uh, they just have a ton of RFAs is like the one thing I remember about the last time I looked at their cap friendly page yeah well the thing with them though is is they have a bunch of money coming off the books 
right with guys who i think are replaceable but also like they're in a situation where they could conceivably just be like all right well thank you for your service damon zeberson and and ryan graves we're gonna let you guys walk in free agency and then replace them with like top defensive prospects and just play them in sheltered minutes you know what i mean because they yeah. do have hamilton and siegenthaler and marino already there so they have that like defensive infrastructure in place where if they decide sure. to bring in Timo Meyer, pay him long-term, extend Jesper Brad as well, I think they have enough money to make all those pieces fit. It, it brought up an interesting point. I think Friedman had it in his 32 thoughts this week. I've heard it before where there's this notion that the Devils want to keep every forward contract they sign from here on out under Hughes's eight. And I'm like, mm-hmm. uh, good luck with that. Uh, I don't you know, know. honestly, it like sure that you know we we again this is something I'm sure they want to Puck, yeah yeah this is something we talked about on Puck Soup yesterday where like the Red Wings could do it because they were like look Nick Lindstrom's only making like six million bucks you want to make more than Nick Lindstrom and the Bruins did it forever with or not forever but for a while with Bergeron and then David Krejci was like well I should make more than Patrice Bergeron and the, and the Bruins were like yeah sure that makes sense. And it's like, mm, did it make sense? I don't know. But like, you know, uh, uh, Lindstrom and, and Bergeron, those are like A plus, 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 plus first ballot all-stars. Like, no question about it. And Jack Hughes is like, well, he had one good season. So obviously we could never pay anybody more than that. Okay, relax a little bit. Well, especially then- again, because the Hamilton's making nine. If you want to say the, the bar is nine. I don't think there are too many guys that the Devils could get their hands on who would cost them, who should cost more than nine. But eight is iffy. I just think like you, you we've gotten to the point where you so you simply cannot compare RFA and UFA years, right? Oh, like for it, sure. It, the, yeah. the, the, the leverage power between them is is the gap is so wide at this point. And Myers and, attending RFA though, right? He is, but he's got the he's got yeah, the ten million qualifying the and then he's year, UFA, right? right? So he's got quite a bit of leverage. It's like, yeah, he's clearly worth more than eight million. He's, I think, he's asking for nine or something right now. That seems very well. That's what I'm saying. I'm happy to give him nine. Yeah, but like, if I'm trying to strong arm him into eight, it's like, what are we doing here? All this for a million dollars, you know? Yeah, and also it's it's like, well, Jack Hughes signed that deal after having done nothing in the NHL. Yep, and now he's worth what? If 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 you just ripped up his contract right now. Oh, he'd be like 10, 11 next. Yeah. Yeah. He'd be in the, in the double digits easily. And so Easy. it's like, yeah, he, that's not something you can like compare as like, all right, everyone needs to sign this horrible deal for themselves because our best player already did. So totally agree. So, um, okay. I do want to talk about Eric Carlson as well. You're mentioning the names for MVP. I don't know mm-hmm. if you included him in that list and I understand like his team is clearly not going to make the playoffs. Yeah. They're I, really I, bad. I, I did in the article, but just in rattling them off, I don't think I said that Eric Carlson. But if he was on a better team, I think we would – or, you know, if the Sharks were even remotely in the playoff race, I think we'd at least be having the conversation of, well, if, you know, if the Sharks get in. But because the Sharks are so bad, like, there's just not a chance for him to get that kind of consideration, even though he's, to- I think, totally deserving of that kind of consideration. Yeah. It, it sucks that that's the case because I agree with you, mm-hmm. but man, like I have some numbers for you. I'm, I'm going to just rattle them off because they're so hilarious. So he's got 43, five on five points, which are five more than anyone in the league. That's 17 more than any other defenseman. So I think right. Adam Fox yeah. is second with 26. Uh, he's currently 
sixth in total points. He has a point on 42% of all Sharks goals. <laughs> and he's been on the ice for 65% of the goals they've scored. Uh, here's the best one. So with him on the ice at 5 on 5 they're up 15. So remember that number. They're mm-hmm. down 31 goals without him at 5 on 5 Now, right. they've scored 46 goals in like 1,500 5 on 5 minutes without him. To put that in perspective, the Golden Knights, Hurricanes, and Flyers all score more shorthanded than the Sharks do without Eric Carlson at 5 on 5 That's um, crazy. So, like, I, I, I've seen a couple knocks against him beyond the team being bad, right? One of them is like, well, he's a minus two. So how valuable is he really if they're getting outscored with him on the ice? And it's like, <sighs> all right, I, I I know I know what you're saying. I can't believe we're talking about plus minus in the year 2023 here in the PDO cast. But this is such a perfect thing. Whenever someone cites it, I'm like, yes, thank you for bringing the, up this opportunity to perfectly capture why it's such a dumb, meaningless stat. For sure. For sure. The Sharks? Yeah, it... No, just let, 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 ahead, let, let, let me tell you. Yeah, go ahead. He's been, he's been on the ice for 12 empty net goals against, which are all minuses, right? And it's like, right, of course. No, one, no one would argue that that is a sign that he's horrible defensively or a liability because the other right. team gets the puck and shoots it into an empty net. Yet it's being counted as equal as an even strength goal against. And so that, for whatever reason, gets lost in the context when you just look at the plus minus. It, it like it penalizes skilled players because they're on the ice in these opportunities where their net is empty. But then if they score, they're not getting credit for it in plus minus because it's not. It's 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 comical. So whenever someone yeah. cites plus minus in general, be wary. But especially in the case of what Carlson's doing this season, it is just completely irrelevant and tells you nothing about the season he's having. Yeah, if he's plus 10 on the Sharks, like if we take those off the board and uh, it's plus minus says he's plus 10, nobody's having a conversation about, well, maybe we can leave him off. Just No, like everybody's just – and I should say, Eric Carlson is one of my favorite players of all time, so like I'm, I'm automatically in the bag for, <laughs> oh, is he like vaguely, remotely, if you squint and, and kind of – turn your head 45 degrees. Is he like kind of a, an MVP candidate? I'm like, yes, he is. Yeah, for sure. He is. So, but like this season, he is obviously well beyond that, but guys on bad teams just don't get any consideration right or wrong. And I would say wrong, but like, again, there are just so many guys that are having great years on good teams that it, I, I just couldn't realistically say um oh he should he should guaranteed be in the top five because if we're picking a player from a a bad team that probably isn't going to make the playoffs Ilya Sorokin should be on the list for everybody yeah Yeah. I think if they make the playoffs he might need to be a finalist oh yeah if they make the playoffs he should be a finalist that would and I would I would honestly bump out Pasternak at that point which is crazy to me, but it's true. Yeah, 34 goals save above expected in 38 games. I mean, it's ridiculous. Yeah, what Sorokin's doing is just is is unheard of. Yeah, the Carlson stuff, it, it just bugs. Like, I think this is more of a Norris debate then because he's clearly not going to be in consideration for the heart. But whether he's bad defensively, and he is, and his metrics are reflect that, is kind of besides the point especially for, for yeah. the Norris trophy. I understand it's for the best defenseman, but 
whether he's providing the value offensively or defensively from that position makes no, makes no difference, right? It's like a net positive impact in terms of, all right, it doesn't matter if he stinks defensively because he's so much better offensively than everyone else totally. that it, it kind of drowns that out, right? So I wanted to make that point, although I will say like Adam Fox's impacts too. I, I think it's a very fair debate between those two, but just yeah. between those two, like no one else is is touching them as, as much as I love the season Rasmus Dahlin has had. I, I think Carlson's year is uh, is is out of this world. Um, okay, yep. enough MVP stuff. Let's talk about... Do you want to talk about like player contracts and kind of like this like labor battle that's coming? Do you want to talk about viewership numbers and broadcasts? Uh, these are kind of big picture topics that I guess have uh, have been gaining a lot of steam on Twitter yeah. and in the discourse the past couple of days. Yeah. So uh, about the ratings thing, the NHL ratings are down, like, but that's only if you look at, like, if you look at like actual, it doesn't matter. The thing I always say, I'm a big wrestling fan. And the thing I always say when people talk about uh, ratings and wrestling, oh, this many people watch SmackDown or whatever. Uh, you're a loser if you care about this stuff. If you think, if you get, like, if you care, what WWE or the NHL or or the NFL anything is getting in the ratings, you're a loser. Just like the things you like and watch it. That's it. So, uh, yeah, I don't care about that at all. Um, but the the labor stuff is really interesting, only because uh, we're starting to hear that for uh, U.S. Uh, Secretary of Labor Marty Walsh, who uh, used to be the mayor of Boston. Kind of has the inside track to be uh, the next executive director of the NHLPA. That is fascinating to me because as, as a Boston guy myself, I used to, this is not a joke. I used to live three blocks away from this guy. I, I would see him at Walgreens sometimes. So. Well, uh, does that make him a good candidate? I, well, what no, what makes him a good candidate is that he uh, is a real hardcore union guy to the mm. point where, like, he was accused, or his office when he was mayor was accused of, like, strong-arming companies into doing more union jobs or else being like, mm, you might not get that permit, just saying. And, uh, you know, if you want to get into, like, I think that's cool to do. Now, if you want to get into whether it's ethical, that's a whole different debate. Um but it just it just goes to show that this guy is like a pit bull for labor. Uh, like, though that's his base when he was running for the mayor of Boston. Like, uh, labor unions were his base. They helped him get elected uh, to two terms. And, um, like, the idea that if he becomes the executive director of the NHLPA, what I think would happen is, uh, you know, a, a lot more aggressive in the negotiations, let's say, right. than than uh, past executive directors have been. Well, of all your all your things that you'd like to see them try to draw out of the next CBA from a player perspective, what's what's at the top of your list in terms of like, n- not even for them personally, but like as a fan, it's like, all right, this would improve my enjoyment of following and and covering this league in terms of like changing this element of contracts, I guess, to make it easier to like be a fan of, of the sport. Yeah. I, I, I think the number one thing for me would be like a soft cap instead of a hard cap, which I, I don't think the owners would ever in a million years go for, right? Like Gary Bettman 
is the commissioner like the forever commissioner he's been doing it for 30 years now because you know when he took over the league was like super tilted in the players direction in terms of like what percentage of uh, hockey related revenues they were getting which by the way is how it should be these are the guys uh, creating the product you know um but uh, the, I think it was I think it was fifty eight percent when they first put the salary cap into place, and now it's fifty fifty. You know, so like that's why Gary Bettman's the forever commissioner. He basically like broke the union's back, and uh, there's a hard cap, and there's no money that exists outside the cap, and all this kind of stuff. Um, I would like to see a soft cap where you know. Um, Guys that, and this is kind of the NBA's bird rule, I guess, but like guys that re-sign with their own team, like the team that drafted and developed them or whatever, uh, they count for X amount, or the I, teams can go over the salary cap to retain those guys in a way that they can't in the NHL. Yeah. Um, and so if it's just as simple as do I do I want to see a like bird years built into uh, contracts? Maybe I, Maybe that is all I want. But but more broadly speaking, I would say like a soft cap so that like we don't have what we have this year where everybody's just kind of turning out their pockets and going, I'd love to make a deal, but uh, the, the the cap's going up so slowly. I know it's so stupid. Yeah. It stinks. It's yeah. like it's bad for fans. It's bad for teams. Like it's good for owners. But what do I care about that? I'm not an owner. You know. Yeah, in an ideal world, you bring the max term down. So like five years sure yeah i, I think cap. i think that's what yeah and then you're just like you're increasing not only player movement but you're actually holding teams accountable to like do their best to field competitive lineups and keep their superstars happy otherwise they can actually leave as opposed to signing someone for an eight-year deal and then it's like all right well you're you're, you're in three you're you're three of this deal uh well, good luck. Maybe, maybe in a couple of years we'll we'll get there finally. But uh, tough cookie. Yeah, I, I'd like that. I think we have to make players UFAs sooner. I understand that like some oh, of these sure. smaller yeah. markets are going to fight against it. But man, being twenty seven or seven years of eligibility or seven time, years yeah. of service time is just a joke. Like especially yep. with totally. players making the NHL sooner. I mean, like. Let's make it 24, 25 years old. At that point, you've already got five years of service time and let's get them out there. Let's get, let's, let's like enforce a situation where players are actually being paid accordingly for when they're really good and they're getting paid as such, as opposed to these like 31 year old players who are getting paid for stuff they did five years ago. And it's like, Mm -hmm. and then you're getting into all these LTIR shenanigans and you go, getting rid of the contract. It's just, it's, it's the entire system is so backwards. So I think there's a couple pretty logical fixes there that I don't have much faith will be fixed, but it, it it's, it's encouraging. Oh, no, this will not thing. happen yeah. for sure. But at least it looks um, like they are beefing up from a player perspective to like actually get some sort of meaningful change done. Yeah. I honestly, like, I think the net, like if there is a labor stoppage in 2026 or whatever, I, I think, I think it will be due to a player strike. At that point, like I can't imagine because what else could the owners want? You know, they got everything they wanted in the last like three negotiations, including, uh, oh, you didn't get to go to the Olympics again. Whoops. <laughs> Classic mistake. Um, 
but uh, I mean, uh, yeah, I, I, as long as we're saying, oh, uh, there should be bird years and uh, less restricted free agency and stuff like that. No draft. Hey, why not? You know, get rid of the draft. See you later. Let's do it all. Let's Look, it all. I, you're preaching to the choir here, brother. I, yeah. I don't know what to tell you. All right, RL. I'll let you uh, promote some stuff here on the way out. Let, uh, sure. Especially ahead of um, especially ahead of trade season. Because I know you're you're doing a lot of stuff for us at EP Ringside, so let the listeners know about that. Yeah, uh, starting this week with the Bo Horror. Usually we do this a lot closer to the deadline itself, uh, but uh, I do trade grades for every single trade. Like uh, this, a minor leaguer for a fifth round pick, I will grade that for both teams. You know, um, but the Bo Horvat trade really kind of forced my hand, so I, I got started on that this week. I also did the Matt Nieto for Martin Cout trade, so you guys are going to want to tune in for that. Uh, over at eprinkside.com. Um, and then my all my usual uh, NHL and college uh, stuff is also going on over there. And then the Puck Soup podcast, uh, which, you know, every Wednesday. So check it all out. I'm easy to find. I love it, man. Yeah, uh, the trade grades are awesome. I will also be contributing trade breakdowns of the big ones as we get closer to March 3rd. So definitely uh, subscribe to EP Ringside and check out all the stuff we're doing there. This was a blast catching up with you, man. Be well. Uh, we're going to have you on, I'm sure, sometime down the road. Uh, so until then, uh, that's it for today's show. We're back tomorrow with one more episode of the PDOcast to close out the week. In the meantime, thank you to everyone for listening to us. This is the Hockey PDOcast on the Sportsnet Radio Network.